Revelation 21, we've been in a series of sermons about heaven during the month of October, and we missed a Sunday in October, so we'll finish that up this morning. I'm going to read a few of those verses. I have several things that I want to get to this morning, and I'll try to do that in as timely a manner as possible. But I want to read these first six verses, and we may come back and read these others in a few minutes. But the Bible says, this is John writing here, and he is giving a description of all things new. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now that means to me that there will be no oceans, there will be no separation, no division. One solid landmass. Now, we know that there's a river of Jordan. We know there's other things, but mass brought together. Um, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Now, inside your worship guide, there's a little handout there. Some things for you to look at in the future. A stick in your Bible. There's some notes about heaven. Um, and someone asked me in Sunday school this morning, you're not going to try to hit every one of those notes this morning, are you? And I said, no, that's for your future reference. So don't let that make you nervous. But there was a moment in time that Scripture uses the phrase in the beginning. And from that moment in time where it says in the beginning, God has been telling His wonderful story to us all. We see His story of creation. We see the tragedy of the fall. We see moving to Genesis chapter 12. We see the establishment of His covenant with a family from Abraham. And we see how He told him that He would bless all the world from that covenant. We see His people move to a place called Goshen in Egypt, right outside of where Pharaoh is and how Joseph saved that seed. And then we see that nation born there and growing there. And we see the exodus. We see the, the children wandering. And we see the giving of the law. And then we see the prophets who would tell about a Messiah who would come to be the Savior of the world. And we see that Messiah come and then we see the rejection of Him by His own people. And then we see God's great redemptive work at the cross of Calvary. We see Jesus' ascension. And we see the birth of the church. And from that mo moment, that birth of the church, we know the longing that we have had for the return of our Savior. So for the past four weeks, we've been looking at heaven and establishing what we how we will transition into heaven, how our souls will go to heaven. We looked at our resurrected bodies being reunited with those souls. We've talked about um, 
an intermediate heaven, and we've talked about all of the uh, great and wonderful things that God has for us after this life. And from that establishment of the church, we know that there will be a rapture, there will be a tribulation, and God's wrath poured out on this earth. We know that there will be a thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth, and there will be the first resurrection of the martyrs who were martyred during that great tribulation. We know that there will be a final defeat of Satan and there will be a great white throne judgment of those who are not found in the book of life. And then we know that eternity will begin in earnest. Have you ever noticed that nothing happens really fast in God's economy? Things happen on God's time frame and it's not as fast as we want it to happen, is it? But everything happens for God's great purpose and whether that second coming of jesus christ is this afternoon or whether it's a thousand years from now wherever it is the things that happen in between now and then will happen for his great purpose and will happen so that more souls will come to repentance and know jesus christ as savior but there will be a new moment of in the beginning eternity will begin in earnest and god's great plan of redemption will be fulfilled and He will dwell among the people He created for His glory. We see all things new. There will be a final judgment. Believers will enter in, and after this final judgment, believers will enter into the full enjoyment of life in the presence of God forever. Jesus, if the Bible says in Matthew 25, 34, Jesus will say to us, Come, O blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you, from the foundation of the world. God has been working this plan from the foundation of the world, and we will enter into it. We will start eternity, as the Scriptures say here, as John describes, a new heaven and a new earth, an entirely renewed creation, and we will live with God there. In verses 1 and 2, John gives a description of them coming down and joining this earth that will be recreated and repurposed, the physical creation will be renewed and we will continue to exist and act on it. In Romans 8, Paul said this, he said the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the glorious liberty of the children of God. This earth will no longer be in a state of decay or a state of pollution or a state of anything other than God's idyllic plan for it from the beginning. Now, there's a debate among scholars as I've been researching and I've been reading and I've been pouring over this. There's a debate over scholars. Some say that the earth will be completely changed and renewed. Others say that this earth will be completely destroyed by fire and replaced by a new earth. I'm not smart enough yet to know which one is completely true. I'm still studying it. But here's what I know. It will be God's perfect design. It will be as He intended from the beginning before sin corrupted everything that we see. God created, as we look back at the account of creation, as God would create things, as God created the heavens and the earth, every time He created something, He would say, it is good. When He created man, from the dust of the earth, when He created Him, what did He say? He didn't say it is good. He said it is what? He said it is very good. And there in that time, 
when we are with Him in eternity, our resurrected bodies will get that same seal of approval from God that it was intended for the original creation. Scriptures tell us here there will be no sickness or disease, no shoulder wearing out, no rotator cuffs wearing out, no knees wearing out, no hips wearing out, no ankles wearing out. Be fit for eternity. Praise the Lord. <laughs> it's awful getting old. <laughs> and Brother Ronnie always said when I say that, he always say, you don't know nothing yet. We see heaven described as a holy city. A place prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. All of us have been to weddings. All of us have seen the great uh, anticipation as a bride, a beautiful bride is adorned there that day. And her husband is waiting for her. I stood here, you've probably heard this story a hundred times, but I stood here on this platform and I watched that door right there. And at that moment, I saw the most beautiful sight I had ever seen. I saw Miss Sissy push Bree out and say, you can't go back now. But I had, a, I had a sense of anticipation in my heart. And Jesus Christ, I want you to understand this. Jesus Christ has a greater anticipation in His heart for that day when we will be presented to Him as, as a bride adorned for a, a husband. When, he's get, when, when, when the church is there with Him, when, when those of us who have repented of our sins and we are forgiven of those sins, when we are given to Him, Jesus has a sense of anticipation in His heart for you. Do you understand that Jesus, who spoke everything you see into creation, is anticipating this greatly? He is preparing. He told His disciples, I am going to prepare a place for you. I will come again for you. And he is anticipating the moment when the father tells him, Son, it is time. Go get your bride. I feel sorry for our kids now. They don't know what anticipation is. When I was young and you had a date, there was a sense of anticipation there. Because you, you had a date at 6 or 6.30, and you, had, you, you, you weren't going to see that person. You know? And you, you, weren't, you, know, and, and you had this anticipation about going to their house and knocking on the door and them coming, you get to see them, you know, and you know, and, and wondering if I always wondered if the dad was going to let me come to the door if I was going to have to step out, you know, circle the block or something. But now they text. If they if they're going to see each other that night, they text all day about what what are you wearing, what are you doing, you know, or or send each other a picture, you know. Our kids don't understand anticipation. It's sad. Jesus has an anticipation for this moment and we should live with an anticipation in our hearts knowing that we are going to be presented to Christ. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. Revelation 21.16 Some of the other scriptures here describe this city of, of, of heaven, this, this new Jerusalem. It says it's about 1,400 miles in length and breadth and height. A beautiful place that will come to this earth and we will be able to enter in and out. All things will be made 
new there. And we see that we will be in a relationship that is unhindered. Heaven is the place where God most fully makes known His presence to bless. God is present everywhere, but He especially manifests His presence to bless in certain places. I've been reading through the book of Exodus. It's where my daily Bible reading has taken me. And I read about there God's presence being among the children of Israel. And His presence filling the tabernacle. And by day, they would see Him as a great cloud that would, that, that would be there. His presence would be there. And at night, they would see Him as a great pillar of fire. Fire by night. And they would know, they would look and they would see, and they would know that God was in their presence. And they would be comforted by that. We are surrounded by moments in our lives where we are in situations where the Holy Spirit who resides in our heart and in different situations and places where we are, God blesses us to let, let us know that He's present inside of us through the Holy Spirit and that He is our great comfort just as He was present there by a cloud by day and fire by night. He's present in our hearts and He brings comfort and peace to our situation. But the greatest manifestation of God's presence to bless will be when we are with Him in heaven where He will make His glory known and where angels and other heavenly creatures and the redeemed saints will all worship Him together. Now think about this. In this day that we live in, in this hurried up, troublesome time that we live in, there are hindrances to our relationship with God many times. We've discussed it earlier. We're redeemed by God, but we live in a fallen world corrupted and polluted by the curse of sin. And because of this, there are temptations and hindrances that have the possibility to hinder our fellowship and relationship with God. Paul asked this question to the church in Galatia. In Galatians 5, 7, he said, You were running well. Who hindered you? John's great revelation to us says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. There will be no hindrances in between us and God anymore. There will be no voice competing with His voice. In this world, we hear many voices drawing us and trying to compel us to, be, uh, to put other things ahead of God and to, and to neglect our relationship with God to be a part of other things. We will be in heaven in the presence of God and there will be no voice other than God that we will hear to lead us and direct us. There will be no hindrances there. There will be no temptation to sin. Every day in this life, we have great temptation to sin and there in heaven there will be Nothing defiled or nothing corrupt that can enter in there and we will have no temptation to sin. We will have no worries and anxieties to weigh us down. This life is filled with worries and anxieties and troublesome times and tribulations and trials. And when we get to heaven and we are in the presence of God, there will be no worries, no anxieties, no, 
no troublesome times to hinder our relationship with God. There'll be no death or sorrow on the horizon. We won't be sitting around with sick loved ones wondering how much time do they still have or when, is, when, will, they, when will they expire? When, what will, we will no longer have those worries about us anymore to hinder us. And yet the Bible says very specifically that He will wipe away every tear from our eye. In the Old Testament, when the glory of God, we will be in the presence of the glory of God forever. And in the Old Testament, when the glory of God filled the temple, the priest could not stand in his presence and minister. It was so overwhelming that they would collapse under the weight and the glory of God. Think about as we approach the Christmas season, in the New Testament, there outside of Bethlehem, where the shepherds were abiding their flock, and the presence of uh, they were surrounded by the glory of God, and they were filled with fear. When John, as he writes here, when he's in the presence of Jesus Christ, he falls on his face before him. But here in the heavenly city, we will be able to endure the power and holiness and presence of God's glory, for we will live continually in the atmosphere of the glory of God. You ever been in a worship service where the, where the glory of God was just thick? Or you get, it, was just, it, was, it, was so, it was just so real to you? And I've, I've been in worship services like that and, and, and sit there thinking, I don't, know, I don't know if my body can physically handle much, uh, much more of this great presence of the Lord. Oh, how, how we should long for that fire to fall and touch us and send us out. It says in Revelation 21, 23, that we will be in His presence and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. We will be in that glorious presence forever, and we, our bodies will be glorified, and we will be able to be there with Him. And then we see an eternity that we have to go from there. In page 220, on page 226 of the book I've been reading called Heaven by Randy Alcorn, there's a section there that says why God created man and earth. And it says this in his book, The End for Which God Created the World, Jonathan Edwards writes, God has a disposition to communicate himself, to spread abroad his own fullness. His purpose was for his goodness to overspill his own being as it were. He chose to create the heavens and the earth so that his glory could come pouring out from himself in abundance. He brought a physical reality into existence in order that it might experience His glory and be filled with it and reflect it. Every atom, every second, every part and moment of creation. He made human beings in His own image to reflect His glory and He placed them in a perfect environment which also reflected it. In other words, everything in creation exists for the sole purpose to glorify God. And we will have the great honor of being with Him in His intended creation to bring glory to Him for all of eternity. It is our greatest privilege to know that someday we will be with Him in eternity 
and that we will be there to bring glory to Him. Now think about these things as we close this out. We will be unique. In heaven, we will be unique. Any of you know any unique individuals? It's a polite way for saying other things, but we will all be unique in heaven. I'll still be Michael Ingram, the apple of my mother's eye. My sister's upstairs, they're gritting her teeth. But here's how I know I'll be unique. Jesus said in the book of Luke, Luke writes that when I came to know Jesus as my Savior, that there was rejoicing in heaven over me. Over me and me alone at that moment. They knew who they know who I am, and there was great rejoicing over my coming to know Christ as Savior. Heaven views each person as a separate individual whose life is observed and cared for one at a time. I will go to the judgment seat of Christ, and there before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ. I will give an account for one life and one life only. And that will be the life of Michael. I will not give an account for my children. I will not give an account for my wife or my parents or or my friends. I won't give an account for anybody except what I did with the gospel of Jesus Christ and how I was given a call and what I did with that call on my life. Myself alone. And there at that moment, I will either suffer reward or loss that will matter. I want you to hear me. It will matter for eternity. How you live every single day matters for eternity. Because you will stand there as a unique individual. And you will either suffer loss or reward for what you did in this life. It matters. We will be unique. My name is uniquely written in the Lamb's book of life. My name is represented there. Think about this. Our desires will never be unholy. I will never have a desire of greed. I will never have a desire of lust. I will never have a desire of malice, envy, covetousness. No desire about me will ever be unholy. My desires will all be what they were intended to be in God's original creation for me to be in continued fellowship with Him and for the desires of His heart to be the desires of my heart. We will not sin. There will be no sin in heaven. Paul says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Death is the result of sin. And if there is no more sin, there will be no more. If there is no more death in heaven, then there will be no more sin in heaven. I won't turn on the the news in heaven and see about murders and and, uh, bombings or anything. There will be no sin 
It'll be about the weather report, and I, I, I don't know. Sunny with a chance of glory. We will work in heaven. Now this upset some of you. You thought you were going to retire for eternity. Some of you school teachers are right now saying, I am not going to teach in heaven. Be careful what you say. I, I swore when I got saved, I said, I'll never do youth ministry. Thirteen years of lock-ins. But we will work in heaven. You see, work was an original part of God's creation. In Genesis, he said, he took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. He gave Adam a job in a perfect place. And that blows some of your minds. You're thinking, I, if heaven is perfect, there can't be jobs there. There can't be work there. See, work wasn't a part of the curse. There was already work in existence. The curse made work menial, tedious, and frustrating. God said, cursed is the ground because of you. But our work in heaven will be joyful and fulfilling, and it will give glory to God. When the, I, I don't know how alarm clocks work. If there'll be, I, I don't know how that'll work. But you won't hit the snooze button. If there is one, you won't hit the snooze button three four times saying, oh, I just can't do it today. We will have an eternity of joyful, fulfilling, meaningful work that will give glory to God. Heaven and eternity to go. So what does all that mean to us? It means we ought to get ready for heaven. It means if we're a believer, we ought to be living like it means we ought to be living like we're, we're going to heaven. And that we represent heaven. When I was in school, and we were going on a field trip, Mr. Johnny Smith or, who, or Mr. McClellan or whoever was uh, the principal of the school would always say, when you get there, you represent our school and you better represent it well. And I knew that when I got there, I better represent it, or when I got back, it was going to be ugly. We represent heaven, and we ought to represent it well. We have the hope of heaven. I want to read this section here from, the, from this book, and I want us to think about how we live every day. Randy Alcorn says this, Everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure, 1 John 3, 3. If my wedding date is on the calendar and I'm thinking of the person I'm going to marry, I shouldn't be an easy target for seduction. Likewise, when I've meditated on heaven, sin is terribly unappealing. It's when my mind drifts from heaven that sin seems attractive. Thinking of heaven leads inevitably to pursuing holiness. Our high tolerance for sin testifies of our failure to prepare for heaven. Heaven should affect our activities and ambitions, our recreation and friendships, and the way we spend our money and time. If I believe I'll spend eternity 
in a world of unending beauty and adventure, will I be content to spend all my evenings staring at game shows, murder mysteries, sitcoms, and ball games? Even if I keep my eyes off impurities, how much time will I want to invest in what doesn't matter? What will last forever? God's Word and God's people. So spending time in God's Word and investing in God's people will pay off in eternity and bring me joy and perspective now. Following Christ is not a call to abstain from gratification, but to delay gratification. It's finding our joy in Christ rather than seeking joy in the things of this world. Heaven, our assurance of eternal gratification and fulfillment, should be our North Star, reminding us where we are and which direction to go. When we realize the pleasures that await us in God's presence, we can forego lesser pleasures now. When we realize the possessions that await us in heaven, we will gladly give away possessions on earth to store up treasures in heaven. When we realize the power offered to us as rulers in God's kingdom, a power we could not handle now, but will handle with humility and benevolence then, we can forego the pursuit of power here. To be heaven-oriented is to be goal-oriented, in the best sense. Paul says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me, heavenward in Christ Jesus. Are you thinking eternally? Are your thoughts are your thoughts bigger than this life? You were created for eternity. You're going to dwell in one of two existences in eternity. You will either dwell in heaven with God in the place that I've described, or if you reject Jesus Christ, you will dwell in hell for eternity with no hope of ever knowing anything that I've just described. As a matter of fact, for all the hope that I have in heaven, the hopelessness of hell is just as great. So as a Christian this morning, are you living and thinking eternally? Are you living in a way that is, that is representative of your home in heaven? Or are you allowing yourself to be numbed by the sin of this world and just blending in and not sticking out or not, not, being, not being who God called you to be? Because God specifically called each one of us to a ministry and a purpose that matters for eternity. So my prayer this morning is, is that as believers we're thinking eternally. And here's one of the greatest things that we can think about is this. Sharing the gospel with other people. Telling them about Jesus. And directing them to life eternal in heaven. Who is on your heart this morning that you know? Who is on your heart this morning that you know? Who would look you in the eye and say, heaven is not my home. I, I don't know Christ as my Savior. And do you have a burden for that person? It may be a father, a mother, a sister, a brother, a cousin, a co-worker, a friend. Who is that person? 
Because one of the greatest rewards in heaven will be the, those who are soul winners. I really believe that. So live with an eternal perspective of leading other people to faith in Christ. And this morning, if you're here, and I've described a place that's foreign to you, a place that you don't understand or you don't, maybe you just don't get it. This would be a wonderful moment for you to come and you just to spend time and looking at Scripture and knowing that you can have forgiveness of your sins, you can repent of those sins, and that you can know for certain that Jesus is preparing a place for you with Him in heaven. Don't delay baptism. Don't delay membership. Whatever it is you need to do this morning. But most importantly, don't delay salvation. Today is the day of salvation. As you stand, would you pray, Father, thank you for letting us live and learn and, and know a little bit more about our heavenly home. Father, my mind is, is finite and it's limited. And, but I know that I have a home in heaven that is indescribable. And Father, I pray this morning that if there are those here this morning who need to know, if they would come here this morning, they would find me or Seth or Donna, and they would allow us to take them and pray with Scripture and to explain to them how to know the joy of a relationship with Jesus and an eternal home in heaven. For whatever it is we need to do during this time, dear God, I pray that we would use it wisely, in worship, in decision, or in reflection. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.